Welcome to the Orchard. We're so glad you're here. I was gone for a few weeks on getting away, and someone made the point that uh, Father's Day, I was gone for Father's Day, which I was, had no cell coverage where I was. And for Father's Day, I, I made my dad speak, made him work. <laughs> Feels good. Feels good. It's been a long time coming. <clears throat> We're glad you are here with us, whether online, listening to podcast, or here in the building. And I just, I just want you to know, you are so blessed this morning. Because we planned these sermons, the sermon series, we're walking through Genesis, the whole book of Genesis. So it's planned months in advance, and you happen to be here. Or if you're tuning in, you happen to be tuning in. On the Sunday, we talk about money. (laughs) And I know I could just see some of you leap for joy. You are just like, you know, this is why I came. And some of you were like, I wish she was speaking about Levitical skin diseases or anything, anything. Anything, you're checking the exits right now, but here's what I'm going to promise you. We're not talking about your money. We're talking about our hearts and what God's going to do. We're working through Genesis. We're t- as you know, when we're in the book of John, we're not scared of topics and issues. We take it as it comes. And so we're here in Genesis, and I want to sort of start out just to kind of take some air out of the room. It reminds me of a man who, who earned a very good living. He made a lot of money. And, and he saved a lot of money, but not just stingy. I mean, he wasn't even wise. He just hoarded it. And as he came to the end of his life, he made his wife promise. He said, promise me when I'm dead, you'll put my money in the casket with me. I want to take all of it with me. And his bride, she, shockingly, she agreed. Well, sometime later, the husband passed. And at the very end, right before they lowered him down, she put something in the casket. And her, her friend saw that. <clears throat> her friend came up and asked, what was that? And she said... Well, she told her friend about her husband's request and then how she agreed to it. And her friend was aghast. How could you agree to that? How are you going to live? How are you going to pay the bills? And she replied, well, I, I promised him. And a promise is a promise. But I should be okay. Unless he finds a way to cash that check in heaven. I want to be very candid with you this morning. I want to be very honest with you. Churches and preachers, religion, we have abused money and we have gotten a bad reputation and, and we have earned it. Anytime someone extorts money in the name of God, it's not God and it's not right and it's a sin. And that's not what we're going to talk about today. The topic of money has been so abused in the past that some preachers are afraid to talk about it. But here at the orchard, we're going to talk about anything authentically and truthfully. Because the reality is, money is actually a a spiritual issue. And there's a reason that Jesus mentioned money more than he mentioned love. Did you know that? Why would he do that? Did you know when he mentioned it, he didn't ask for it? He didn't say, if you'll only give. He he, He didn't live a lavish lifestyle. None of that. He discussed money because he knew that humanity had a spiritual issue when it comes to it. You see, money is meant to be just a tool, just a tool that we use practically and that we can bless others with. But money has this rare ability to seduce us to become more than just a tool to something we desire, something we need, and then to greed. And and money, in fact, is one of the few things that ultimately money can become a god in our lives. Timothy warns us, he says, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. 
And the thing to recognize in that verse is, in the place that God should have in your life, some people are putting money in that place. Money can be a God to us. Notice that, that these verses, Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep yourself from loving money. 1 Timothy 6, money is the root of all evil. Now notice these, all these verses that mention money, they don't say you should give to a televangelist. They're not talking about giving to someone or something. What they're talking about is how money does have an ability to become a God in your life. To sum it up, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I have a mentor who once told me, he said, until people surrender their money, they haven't fully surrendered their heart. Which is, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But all that said, it's still uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, I mean it's still uncomfortable for us. And it could be because money is so close to our hearts. It's so personal. There's the story of a, a preacher who was getting a, ready to baptize this gentleman. And he pulled the gentleman aside and he was counseling him. He said, I'm so glad you're going to get baptized this Sunday. And I want you to know, when I lower you down, everything under those baptismal waters is given to God. Well, the gentleman, was, his eyebrows went up. He thought about it for a minute. He nodded. It came time for the baptism. And as he was on his way up, he, he grabbed his wallet. And the preacher thought, whoa, this man is so dedicated. He's taken his wallet in the baptismal with him. They get up there, and you know what's coming. He, he gets ready, and he, he lowers the man down into the waters. And as he does, the arm shoots up, and the wallet's out of <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. We're discussing money because we're in this series of Genesis, and we're taking it as it comes. And here we are. I mean, we were four weeks in or so in Genesis 1 and 2. We have God creating order and establishing the order and design. He's saying, listen, you have a purpose. You're not an accident. You have a design. You have a soul. You have a reason. You have a mission on life. Then he creates male and female in his image, and he breathes life into them. Life is precious to God. He's the author of life, and he wants to share this world with, with those that he created and then in Genesis 3, humanity chooses selfishness and sin enters the world. And now in Genesis 4, we find this account of Cain and Abel. They're only the next generation. They're Adam and Eve's two sons. Now, we are very early in the Bible, just on page two or three, but God is, we see he's already unrolling his plan. In fact, we've looked in the past how in the first chapter, God tells us something that becomes true on the last page. And so God, although it's early, he's establishing these these designs, asking us to, to step into these bedrock truths and become aligned with heaven. And, and Genesis 4 puts out another one for us that echoes throughout the rest of the Bible. So Genesis 4, verse 2. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. This is before Moses. This is before the Ten Commandments. Before any mention of tithing or anything like that, what we're going to find is that these two brothers bring an offering to God. They each come from their, their area, the shepherd and the cultivator of the ground, and they're going to say thank you to God as being their source. They're going to give an offering. Now, as we look closer, we see something very unique as the response to the offering is vastly different. Let's read. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain, 
And his offering he did not look upon with favor. And the question has always been, why did God honor Abel's offering and not Cain's? And that's where I want to introduce you to something. A principle that, that, that we have lived with for a while. It's the principle of first fruits. And when we understand the principle of first fruits, you begin to see the difference between Cain and Abel. When you begin to recognize the principle of first fruits, as you read through the Old Testament and the New, things begin to leap off the page because this principle goes throughout God's word. Now, I want to pause there on Genesis. We'll come back to it. But I want to dive in deeply somewhere else in the Old Testament that describes more about this. But before I do, I want to say a few things as lead pastor here on a giving, you know, on this Sunday about first fruits. I want to say thank you. I just want to give a heartfelt thank you for your generosity, for those of you who make it a point to generously give to support the, what, not only what God is doing here, but out of obedience, saying yes to God. Your offerings, they keep the light on, they, they pay our staff, and they run our stuff. But more than that, they fuel our vision. 100% of who the orchard is, is is based on people like you being generous to us. And we have some initiatives coming up that you're going to be excited to hear about. Because here's the point. We don't just want to make a spiritual impact on our region. We want to be a place, a resource that makes a practical impact on our region out of generosity, out of compassion. Now, every week there are things happening behind the scenes that uh, we, 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 no one knows about, some we can't talk about, but, but there are, we are supporting children. We're supporting homeless. There's widows being supported domestically, locally, internationally. We are investing monthly into places all over the globe Love God, love people in France. You're going to hear more from some of these people as they, as they come visit us this, throughout the summer. India, global, stateside, locally. You've heard us talk about the orchard churches in Vanuatu in the South Pacific. How, how Pastor James and I have cultivated this friendship where we talk, we video chatted. And, and he, goes, he goes, Pastor, I see you preaching in your shirt. Send me some shirts. And so they, he made their own sign. And so here we, we support Pastor James. And here he is. He's, wear, he's wearing the shirt he wanted. He's handing the Bible out, to, and this is out in the village. Keep going. Let's look at some of these pictures. Here's one of their village churches, and there you see Orchard. There's their sign they made, love God, love people. As Pastor James is taking the good news, but also practically he's taking uh, good things, practical things too. Here's what I love about it. Uh, there's no overhead. Thanks to the Hawaii Bible Institute, we do this money, we send the money, and it goes straight to James. And as a pastor, he knows who needs it. Next picture there. Oh, there he is. He's, yeah, there he is with some other people blessing this family. It is just, it's, God is moving in Vanuatu. Church, there's, there's now three, four churches. Um, Dr. David and I are going to go down there at some point and visit them. I cannot wait to see our brothers and sisters. And, and for you, as anytime you see them, any posting or think of them, you can pray for your sister churches. Your sister orchard churches down there. In Vanuatu. Now we also have brothers and sisters who joins us on Sunday in Afghanistan and Pakistan who we've helped in many ways. Some we can talk about. Then there's Pastor Ion. He's doing the work in the Ukraine. We've been supporting him again straight to him with no overhead. He sent me a message that said this a few weeks ago. He said, to our dear brothers and sisters at the Orchard Church, talking to you, thank you for your help. We pray to the Lord. He reward you for the love and kindness you, have all, you always have for us. You are a blessing and encouragement to us in God's work. We thank you because you are serving the Lord with us. Now, we can't be there. We can't be taking supplies to these Ukrainian war-torn countries. We don't take the orphans back. They're looking at adopting some of these infants. Like We're not there, but, but he says you're serving along with us. He says, with love, we are praying for you, Orchard. In love, Pastor Ion and his wife, Marinella. As we discuss Genesis today, 
and the power of first fruits. I just wanted to stop and say thank you. It's a privilege to be your lead pastor. And so it's, it's amazing to see God take what we do here in this valley and take it not only to our region, not only to our state, but then our nation and globally. Let's dive into something that God instituted before Jesus, before Abraham, it's the, it, before Moses. It's this principle of putting God first. If God is not first in your life, then spiritually, we're already out of alignment. And what we're going to see today is, if God's not first in our life financially, then in that area, we're out of alignment. Robert Morris opened this teaching up to me, and we're going to dive deep in the Old Testament. And I just want to go ahead and give you a warning. At some point, and one guy, last service, he goes, he goes, when you say this, we think this every week. So you don't even have to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. At some point, you're going to be wondering, where is he going with this? What's he talking about? This is one of those weeks. But by the end of this, we're going to tie the Old and New Testament together. We're going to see what God does, and then we're going to see what it means for us today. Because God's truth was true then, it was true with Jesus, and it's true now. We're going to be talking about animal sacrifices and offerings, but stick with me because in this is a deep truth that if we step into it, we are aligning with the design of heaven because in God's eyes, what is first is important. And it's if it's important to him, then we need to understand this in our hearts and our minds and practically in our lives. So let's see what God thinks about first. It's in Exodus. He's revealing a new way of living um, with more detail to the children of Israel. He's, in Genesis 4, we saw a hint of it. Now he's putting uh, more around it. Uh, Exodus 13:1. The Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn male. The firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. God says, the firstborn belongs to me. It's mine. That firstborn lamb, it's mine. That firstborn donkey, it's mine. That firstborn son, he's mine. Dedicate the firstborn to me. Set it apart for me. He reiterates this again in verse 12. He adds some specifics. He says, you're to bring over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. The firstborn of every womb were to give to God. He goes on, he says this. Then this is, this is a verse you're probably going to write down. It's your life verse. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. He clarifies. Every firstborn donkey must be redeemed with the firstborn lamb. And if not, you lose the donkey. To redeem means to compensate for the faults of something. To pay for the faults of something, to pay to make something clean and clear. A donkey is viewed as an unclean animal, the lamb as a clean one. The donkey needed to be redeemed by something that could compensate for its faults, something that could make a payment to clear it and clean it. So how do you redeem a donkey? With the sacrifice of the lamb. If nothing else you learn today, there you got that one, right? That's, what, that's all you need to know. Now, so there we go. In their society, there's clean and unclean animals. In our society, we have, you know, you, some people don't like bacon. Some people do. If you don't like bacon, I don't know what you're thinking. But here's, back in those days, it was a lot more cut and dried. Lamb that was clean. You, it's clean, so you sacrifice a lamb to God as a thanksgiving offering. As an offering maybe to atone for sins or something like that. But clean animals were sacrificed. Donkeys were unclean. So you redeem them with a sacrifice. In this wild, here we are in the middle of this talk on money and finances, and I'm talking about redeeming firstborn donkeys with, with uh, lambs. 
But please don't turn off and please don't leave because if you do, you'll, all you'll know from the sermon is that God wants to redeem donkeys. When in reality, for some of you, that's really good news, you know? So what does this unclean redemption and clean sacrifice have to do with anything? In Exodus, this was written just so long ago. And people believe, man, this, this donkey stuff, this doesn't, this, how, how does this, what does it even mean? But I tell you time and time again that I believe that so much of the Old Testament, in fact, everything in the Old Testament points forward to someone, to Jesus. And even this obscure passage about uh, lambs redeeming donkeys, there's something in here. If you have a firstborn that is a clean animal, you must sacrifice it. If it's born unclean, you must redeem it with a sacrifice. This obscure passage is a principle that actually points to Jesus right here. You and I, we were born in need of redemption. We were born needing to be saved. You don't teach a toddler to be selfish. They come preloaded with that ability. We are all in need of a Savior. Orchard, we are born with a need to be redeemed. And God sent the firstborn lamb, Jesus, fully clean, to die as a sacrifice so that we may be redeemed. The clean had to be sacrificed to redeem the unclean. This, is, this, this principle is the principle why Jesus gave his life as, his, as a lamb. Now, now, what God is talking about to Moses here in Exodus 13, the firstborn being set, across, set apart, this is throughout the Bible as the principle of the first fruits that we see, already saw in Genesis. God calls his people to give their first fruits. And here in Exodus 13, he's talking about livestock and, and, uh, and wombs, but it goes on to, to apply to, to any income, any, any resource, any area of people's lives. In fact, as, as the children of Israel are conquering the promised land, they conquer the first city, Jericho, and God says, you set that one aside. It's mine. It's the first fruits of the promised land. Don't, you, don't, you don't get from that one. The rest, you get. This jumps off the page the more you see the principle of first fruits and understand it. It says this, that we must set our first apart for God, dedicate to him. And this is not a principle that I believe has passed away. I believe, I believe this, and Amy and I practice this in our lives, not just in our finances, but in our lives as best we can, that God calls us to give the first fruits of our resources to him. God, God tells his people, the first of your life is mine. Devote it to me. Bring it to me. The first of your affection First of your love, that's mine. Now, this principle immediately comes loaded with two things. The principle of first fruits comes loaded with two things. It comes loaded, it requires faith. That's the first thing. It requires faith. Because here's the deal if it was the principle of last fruits, it would be so easy. It would require no faith. I mean, it wouldn't. That, that, that's the principle of leftovers. I mean, he didn't say to his people, once you have 10 sheep, give me, pick one of them and give it to me. Give them the runt. You know, like just whatever one we, we don't need. God said, bring me the first one. Dedicate the first one before you even have the rest of them. Well, this is where faith comes in because, because we're giving up the first. This is in our life. We give the first before we pay any other bill. We have to step out in faith. You're giving the first lamb before the second one has even been born. And who knows what will happen to it. I'm giving the first fruits of, of our check before we pay any bill. That takes faith. It also comes loaded with something else. It comes loaded with blessing. Because remember, 
the first portion that was given is called the redemptive portion. It would redeem the others. And there's a blessing in that. Bring me the first and the rest are blessed. Bring me the first portion and the rest is blessed. This is why Amy and I give our first fruits to God before we pay our bills. That means we give based on our pre-tax amount. Because I don't want the government getting my first fruits. We, we bring the first fruits and it often requires faith on our behalf. Because if I go home and I begin to like pay this and pay that and pay this and pay that and watch it shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink, doesn't it shrink really fast? I mean, talk about gas bills now, you know? And then after I've paid off all my earthly lenders and filled my tanks, I hold whatever is remaining and say, well, well, God, here's what I have left. And that takes no faith. That's the principle of leftovers. And there's also no blessing in that. Leftovers is the result of, it's not the result of gratitude. It doesn't require any faith. He called his people in Genesis and throughout to bring the first fruits. He's always called them. Bring to me the first and the rest is blessed. Another reason Amy and I live on this principle of first fruits, and this is going to be shock. I see some shocking things in here, and, and I just want to go ahead and apologize. I don't know if you know this. The reason we give the principle of first fruits is because the IRS doesn't bless the rest of our money. I called them. Transferring to somebody else, and finally, I said, "Sir, I don't know. You, like, what, how much money do you have?" I said, That's when it hung up. You know, I don't want to talk about. It. They do not. They, the government does not have the power to bless the rest of my life. The principle of first fruits declares: Give God what is first, and the rest is blessed. And this is so over, oversimplifying, but here's an easy example: If I get ten dollars, I give the first one to God, and then I believe the other nine goes farther in God's blessing. I align my life in that situation with the principle of first fruits. I believe that based on my experience. We have seen it. I've seen it growing up. I've seen it in my life now, and I believe it because I find it in God's word, not only in Genesis, not just in Exodus, but throughout and in the end of the life in the New Testament. But it goes beyond that. Because many times we think the first portion is mine. Well, I need, this, this is my check. I need to give my first portion. But we'll notice language throughout the Bible, especially here in verse 1, where God declares that something belongs to him. Dedicate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. He claims ownership of it, which is a reminder in my heart, when Amy and I talk about money, that it's all God's anyways. It is all God's. We are simply stewards of what he's given us. We take none of it with us. And so it is all from him and it's all for him. But here's, here's where the challenge is. When I spend the first fruits on myself or on something else, whose money am I spending? That's why when I say we're bringing this stuff up about first fruits, it's more of a spiritual issue than anything else. Exodus twenty three nineteen. Bring the best of the first fruits to the house of the Lord. Notice he says, he says bring here. Do you know why it often says bring? Because we don't, you don't give something if it already belongs to somebody. You bring it. Oftentimes he says it, you, you, uh, you return it. You return to the Lord, bring to the Lord. You're bringing him what is his. You don't, you don't give what, what doesn't belong to you. you. You can bring it, you return it. And so armed with all this understanding, fleshing this out, I want to return back to Genesis 4 to this Cain and Abel moment where they're both giving an offering and one is approved and one is not because it's, it, that is an important principle to know. Genesis 4, 2 and 5. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the first and the best of the flock. In these verses, the principle of the first fruit jumps off the page. I want to look at some of the language that we're seeing here. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought. This means as time went. As Cain had, as Cain had free time to do it. When Cain got around to it, it says he brought some of the first fruits, some of what he had. This is the principle of leftovers. I'm going to do what I want with my money, and if there's some left, I'll bring it to God. What this verse is saying is, when Cain found the time, when Cain had the margin, he brought some of what he had left over. Meanwhile, verse 4 says, Abel brought an offering, the first and the best of his flock. Abel brings the first fruits. Cain brings the leftovers. Let me say this differently. Cain gave what he wanted when he wanted to. While in faith, Abel brought the first fruits, the portion that God said belonged to him. And guess what? God did not accept Cain's offering. Because in some ways, Cain's offering was simply a duty. Abel's offering was the best of his first fruits, pre-tax, pre-bills, out of faith. I say out of faith because you always give the first in faith, as we mentioned. It's easiest to operate like Cain, if we're honest. And I have lived like that. Right? I know I should give, but man, it's tight. And so I, I bring the last after everything's been covered. But I know in my life when I bring the last, it reveals the source of my trust and hope. It reveals that I trust in my own resources more than my resourcer. It re my faith reveals where I find my security. And it goes back to that first, that first verse. Do not put your hope in wealth, but in God. And it reveals to me that, that I'm going to put my hope over here and give him what is left over. When I bring my first fruits, it reveals where my hope is found. Now let's be really honest. This is deeply personal. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, this is hard. For some of you, if some of you guys are nodding along because you've learned this, you've learned it the hard way. But for some of us, this is deeply personal. It's hard. When I bring my first fruits, it, it reveals something about me. What's interesting to me is when we talk about money is, especially in church and issues like that, like we are fine talking about other topics, no matter how difficult in here. We're fine talking, asking God to bless other things in our life, often except our finances. Now, we ask God to bless our families, our travel, our ski days, we ask God to bless a, a McDonald's meal. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're reaching. But bless our money? I mean, have you ever asked God to bless your finances? Because the reality is, he's shown us from Genesis 4 throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament into the end of the age. The principle of the first fruits stands. I'll just say this. While some preachers are shy to preach about money, God is not shy on how this works. God is not shy. He has laid this out. In Malachi 3, actually, God declares a curse on the people, and he says that you're robbing me. But then he gives them a challenge, and here's the challenge. He says, bring me the whole tithe. And then he says, he goes, he goes test me in this. Like, test me. Test me in this, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't be able to store it. Now, this is not prosperity gospel. I do not believe that. This is not some rich scheme. This is a real principle from God's word. And he says here, Malachi, test me in this. Test me and see what happens. 
And let me, finish by, let me finish this by going back to Exodus 13. Because God has just instructed Moses on those first verses. He's instructed him on the details. Lambs and donkeys and sacrifice. All the, the nitty-gritty details of what first fruits means. And he says, if you live in this way, he tells me, he says, if you live this way, your kids will notice. If you start sacrificing the firstborn, if you start bringing this grain offering, if you start giving away the first of everything, your kids, people around you, will take note. And he says in verse 14 that if you live by the principle of first fruits, your family will see it and inquire. Catch this. He's just got done describing it all. And in the future, your son will ask, what does all this mean? Like, Dad, what are you doing? One day your son or daughter will be old enough and they'll come before you and ask you, why does the first go to God? For the child to watch and wonder, what are they doing? And parents, this is an important, necessary thing. Have first fruits discussions with your kids. Model it for them. Uh, we, we, let them know you're giving. Let them know why you're giving. When they get little money here and there, talk to them about first fruits. These discussions of why, are you, why it says here, why do we do this? Why do we live like this? Can you imagine the life of this, the ancient people of Exodus? They have their small flock. They're not wealthy, but they have some land. And, and the son, it's spring, he runs in. You know, he's, he's seven, he runs in. He goes, Daddy, the first lamb's born. The first lamb. And the father gets up and he goes out there. And, and he, oh, it's the first lamb, it's healthy. And he looks down and looks to heaven, thank you. And, and the son watches as the dad wraps it in his arms. And the dad carries it, but he doesn't carry it to the flocks. And then the son watches as his father takes it and offers it up to God with a smile on his face of gratitude. It's the firstborn. The little boy, the little girl, they're, they're watching curiously as their mother and father are doing this. And then they see it again in the wheat harvest. Uh, any harvest, the, the first goes to an offering. Every calving season. For many seasons, this little boy grows up he learns the business. Now he's older and he, he calls his father into the office and he says, Dad, I've been going over the books, the uh, ancient Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> father, I don't know if you do this, but every time there's an animal, it's the firstborn. You walk out and you give that one to God. Dad, looking back over this, that was, that was 21 lambs last year. Dad, we're in the sheep business. I don't know if you have any idea how much that could have meant. I know you're old school. But just maybe we should reconsider some things. Now remember Exodus 13, verse 14 and 15. When your child asks you why you do this, why do you live by the principle of first fruits? You sit them down and you tell them this. You see the old man sit his son down. Son, There's something about your family that you don't know. You see, we weren't always in this sheep business. There was a time when we didn't have one animal. There was a time when we didn't have any land. So there was a time we were in Egypt and we were slaves. And we were in bondage. But God, with his mighty hand, delivered us. 
And boy, therefore, out of gratitude, we gladly give to God the first because we are grateful and because he asked us to. Now, my older son, Elijah, has already come to me, and he's, he's, he's seen this, and he's asked, why do we do this? Someday my daughter, Selah, is going to come to me, and she's going to ask, why we give this away? I mean, to a little girl, anything's a lot of money, and I will sit her down and say, Selah, come here, come here, sweetie. There's some things you don't know about your daddy. There's some things you don't know about your mom and dad. You see, we weren't always followers of Jesus. And there was a time where I was in bondage. I was in sin. But God, thanks to Jesus, by his mighty hand, delivered your mommy and daddy. And because he's given us Jesus as our salvation, we will gladly give him the first of whatever we have. And we give him the first because it's out of gratitude and because he's asked us to. Now, I don't know how this sermon hits you, but I do know this. This sermon is not between me and you. This is not between you and the orchard. It's not between a preacher and a person. The principle of the first fruits has to do with your heart and, and your God. He says, test me in this, which requires a step out in faith. It's not safe. But I want to let you know also that God practiced what he declared throughout the Bible. You see, he sent Jesus, his firstborn, Jesus came, and while living, he was on mission, and he offered up his life day by day. And then, the firstborn of heaven, he gave up his life as a sacrifice to redeem humanity. So may we do likewise, Orchard. May we live on mission. May we daily offer up our lives as an offering to God. And may we honor God, not just with our words, not just with our attendance, but may we bring to God what is his in all areas of our life so that we align ourselves with heaven. Remembering we can take nothing with us. So may we live by the principle of first fruits. And in doing so, we step into the, the blessed alignment with heaven this ancient invitation from Genesis 4 through Exodus and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament embodied in Jesus and true till the end of the age when we pass from it and take nothing of this life with us. And it's an invitation for you. Let me pray for us. God, we want to love you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and the strength of our life that you would be our greatest affection, first in the first fruit of our affection, first in our love, first in our time and our energy, first in our resource, first in our talents, first in all that you've given us. God, I pray that you would lead the orchard to be a people who say, you're first. You are first in every area. I hold nothing back. So God, we want to say that now. We want to worship you. As we take the, the symbol of, of your son's death, the firstborn who gave his life to redeem us, we do so in gratitude and we worship in Jesus' name.